Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, where we explore the human side of analytics to help amplify the impacts of those out to change the world. With me, Alexandra Mannering. I don't know how true so many of the holiday tropes are for all of us, but certainly there is a sense that time together with our family reminds us of things that really matter most. And for today's podcast, I would like to talk a little bit about a framework that I've developed that helps us understand why being clear about what really actually matters to us, to our organization, to our teams, the work that we do, and why we are doing it is just as important as data in order to make decisions. And in fact, it is required. You need information to be able to make decisions because you have to be able to evaluate what might happen or impacts of different decisions. But equally so, you need to have an understanding of what matters to you to give weight to those different outcomes that could happen. Let me illustrate with a story. There was a patient who had a brain tumor that was growing on a certain part of his brain and he had to have it removed. And when he had it removed, his entire life ended up falling apart. So this gentleman's name was in uh, literature, it's called Elliot to mask his identity. And Elliot had been a perfectly functioning human being. He had a wife and a family and a very good job. He was well-respected in his career. Yet when this brain tumor was removed and part of his brain was damaged during the removal unavoidably, he no longer could make any kind of decision that helped move his life forward. And as he lost his job and his family fell apart and everything, he ended up in many psychological evaluations. And what was so strange was that all of his cognitive functions seemed perfectly intact. Elliot could tell you, um, you know, exactly what was going on. His intelligence was perfect. His recall was fine. Everything seemed normal. And yet he really could not be counted on to make appropriate decisions about anything in his life anymore. Now, after all of these other cognitive tests had come back completely normal, there was one new test that they tried that involved considering different social situations and choices about how to handle them. And at the end of this session, he did an amazing job being able to give quantity of options and explain what was good or bad about each of those options in the social situation. Then he stopped and he sort of smiled and seemed quite satisfied with his imagination. But he added, after all that, I still wouldn't know what to do. And this led one of his physicians to actually figure out what was going on here And it is an idea that has been around for a while with neuroscientists, which is that we cannot make decisions if our emotional processing has been damaged. So while we think that we must be purely logical to make the best kinds of decisions, in fact, that's not true. It's not possible to make a purely logical decision. And here's why. When you don't have values, you don't have emotions that tell you what matter to you, what happens is you have what's called a flat decision-making landscape. All this means is that there's nothing to distinguish any of your options from anything else. Think about this. After all, if it 
all matters equally to you, right? Nothing has any distinguishing characteristic of whether you offend somebody or whether you make somebody happy or whether you do something that helps your, you in a particular cause or whether you might hurt somebody else physically or emotionally. If none of those things matter more or less to you, how would you possibly decide what to do in a social situation? And the dis that factor is actually the same when we talk about making decisions in business. I like to refer to this as the Cheshire cat syndrome, right? Alice asks which way she should, should go in Alice in Wonderland, and the Cheshire cat asks her where she's trying to get to. What is she trying to achieve? When Alice says she doesn't know, the cat shrugs and says that it doesn't matter much which way you go, does it? So when we're trying to make decisions in our businesses or in our personal lives or in and a program that we're trying to do in our nonprofits, whatever it is we're trying to do, we must know the values either that matter to us or what our organization values in order to properly weight the data that we are going to get about which option we should take. Now, I'd like to add here that we are always making these value judgments. It's just that sometimes those values or the goals or the things that we're trying to achieve that give weight to those different decisions are not explicitly stated or acknowledged. And really the point of this framework isn't to change how we're making decisions. We're making decisions this way. It's to make this explicit and give us a chance to recognize those values, maybe question a few of them, and certainly be in alignment about which values we are using when we weigh these different decisions. All right, so I will take a second to talk about the other side of the equation because after all, I am a very passionate proponent for why we need data in the first place. So I am not trying to say that all you need are emotions, but you do need those values and those emotions in addition to information about what might happen, right? So if you're trying to make a decision about whether you should advance and invest more in a program or not, your values are going to come into play because you're going to say, well, what matters to me Does it, or to my organization? Does my organization really believe and want to support the outcome that this program is driving? And do we want to do that with maximizing equity or maximizing the absolute amount of good we can do or all these different options that are value-based? But it doesn't matter if you have all those values in place if you don't know whether the program achieves those things. So that is where data really comes in, is you need to make sure that you have the information to help you know whether or not you're achieving the things that matter to you. That's the only way to really effectively evaluate options. Now, I will be the first to admit that sometimes that data is messy, incomplete, uh, that there are certainly lots of limitations to those data, but you still want to be striving to get as much of that information as possible to help you as you are weighing with, with your values the possible decisions. To illustrate how data and values are both required and we can see it in action, I would invite you to open up Google Maps or Apple Maps and imagine that you're trying to get somewhere. Where's the next place you need to get? When you open it up, you have to start by putting in that destination, right? So if I imagine I'm taking my kids to school, which I do a lot, I would open it up and say, all right, I am ready to get to school. So I'm gonna put in my destination. 
That is the first step that we have to do. And again, data aren't going to tell you your destination. You have to know where you're trying to get. So we put in destination, kids school. But then what's really interesting is Google Maps and oftentimes now Apple Maps will give you options about where you want to go. So you may get an option that's the fastest route by time, or you may get an option that is the most fuel efficient. I've also seen Apple do one where it gives you the fewest turns, so it's the simplest route. How do you pick which one of those routes to take? The simple route, the fast route, or the fuel efficient route? Again, no amount of data can tell you which one of those you should take. After all, Google is famous for how much data it has at its disposal, but it's still asking you as the user to determine which one you're supposed to take. And that's because you have to decide at that point or overall in your life what matters to you. If I'm running late to school, you can bet I'm taking the fastest route. But if I'm on time, then fuel efficient might be more important for me because I want to make sure that I'm conserving gas both for finances and for the environment. If I'm trying to navigate for somebody or if I'm really tired, maybe the simplest route would be the right one. So you can see how values might be contextual and based on other pieces of information, but again, it's your values that are gonna be telling you which route. Now, I only have those three options because of that massive amount of data that Apple Maps and Google Maps have, right? The data are there to tell me which route is the fastest route and which route is the most fuel efficient route. So we need the data to define those options against the criteria that matter most to us. The last piece, of course, about this is that Google and Apple Maps are so insanely powerful because they track their outcomes. And in fact, Apple Maps has made huge strides in being better. A couple years ago, it really was terrible, but they've gotten so much better because they're learning from their outcomes. So you'll oftentimes get that, how satisfied are you with this navigation? And they use that to refine what they're providing to users. So it's not just about getting clear about where you need to go, understanding uh, the constraints and what matters to you, using the data to illuminate how those different options will fit against those values, but also about evaluating the outcome of that particular choice and using that data to uh, improve the next time you come to a similar kind of decision. And these are the traits, exactly those four steps of that make up a framework that is really a value-based decision-making framework. So I'm going to walk through how we can actually do this with decisions. There is um, slides that I have used when I've presented this for other folks that help outline some of these steps, which of course I will include in the show notes for this podcast. If you're in a place where you could sit down with a piece of paper, feel free to follow along and brainstorm. And if not, you can go back to the show notes, you can download the slides and do it at your leisure. There's still going to be a huge benefit in listening through to these steps because you can kind of brainstorm just to yourself while you're listening how you might tackle some of these steps. So I have created a cute little acronym uh, for this framework because it turns out that value-based decision-making framework is uh, just not a sexy name. So the, the acronym that I use to walk through this framework is EMOTE right? The act of giving off emotions, emote. So when we think about the letters E-M-O-T-E, they represent the different steps in this value-based decision-making framework. So E stands for Eden. What are we trying to get to? What matters most to us in our journey? 
as Star Trek says, right? What's your prime directive? And no matter how little the decision, you have to have something in mind, preferably consciously, because if not, you've got it unconsciously, but what it is that you want the most. And right off the bat, this is one of the biggest benefits of this framework because it's helping us explicitly explore the answers to these questions in order. So we're starting with the most important thing, right? Where are you trying to get to? What is the paradise you're attempting to achieve with this decision, even if it's a very small paradise uh, or whether it's a big world changing one? So first E stands for Eden. Then we're on to M for morals and mitigate. This is where we start to talk about what other values matter to you and can help you differentiate among the options. What resource or other kinds of constraints might you need to mitigate or respect? So you have your destination, the one place you're trying to get to. In, in the map example, right, this is the, the place you're navigating to, the outcome you're trying to achieve. But it's not enough to just know where you're going. It's essential, but it is not enough. Right? Then we have our different options of how to get there. And those aren't necessarily tied to the destination. Those are going to be influenced by your guiding values and constraints. So next, O. Now we're talking about options. It's only once we're clear on where we're headed and the rules of our engagement that we're going to consider options. So first, Eden, our destination. Next, M, our morals or mitigation of constraints. And now O, options. Fourth, T, stands for triangulate. And this is where I always like to refer to the fact that following the numbers is a bit disingenuous because it really glosses over the, those first three steps. The idea that follow the numbers, it means that numbers are what's leading us. But really, numbers are just helping us triangulate our position when we've already established where we're going and how we want to get there without ever touching the numbers at all. So it's only once we've set the rules, brainstormed possible options, that we start to get that data about which of those options are going to fit our morals or help us mitigate our constraints to get us where we're trying to go. Now, finally, the last E is evaluate, right? Those first four steps help us figure out uh, what our options are, weigh them, look at our possible outcomes, and then evaluate is both about evaluating from the triangulation and picking your decision, but it's also about evaluating after we've made the decision to see whether it got us where we meant to go while respecting our values and our constraints. All right, so let's walk through those five steps in a little bit more detail. And again, if you're somewhere where you can have a piece of paper, you can pause this podcast as we go through these steps and take some time to actually jot down and brainstorm ideas. If you're just listening, feel free again to pause it and just sort of think about some of these things or come back to the podcast on the show notes, download the slides, and you can fill out these steps at your leisure. But I really do find that actually taking the time to try applying this to a decision that you are facing in your life is really helpful to see why being explicit about these steps is going to change how you think about your decisions. Even though so many of these steps are things we're doing, we're doing them unconsciously. So take a moment, think about a decision, personal or professional, that you would like to try this framework on. What is the Eden for this decision? What is that goal that you are trying to achieve 
out of this decision. One of the reasons I call our goal Eden is to remind us, you know, as nonprofits, that every decision we make is helping us get closer to the perfect or better world that we're dreaming of. I also like the concept of Eden because it puts us in the frame of mind to really think about the outcome that we want rather than immediately jumping to the how of, of how we're going to get there. I will be the first to admit, of course, that Eden can be misleading because we can't achieve a utopia. We can't achieve that perfect world. But we're aiming for better. And even while we might have to optimize or trade off, dreaming about what it is we're trying to achieve will help us really connect to that. So as you're thinking about what this Eden might be for the decision you've got in mind, keep in mind, right, there's no amount of data that's going to tell you this. You really need to understand what matters to you or what it matters to your organization. This is also important that if you're making a organizational decision, right, a decision about a program or something that you're trying to do for your nonprofit or your organization, that you may need to set aside what matters most to you in this capacity and really think of it from the organizational point of view. What is it that your organization is trying to achieve or your team is trying to achieve? So feel free to pause here and think about this for a little bit. Jot down some options if you're not clear right away. It's okay to not be entirely sure right now. You can just jot ideas, brainstorms, or maybe you need to get some feedback from other people to really get clear. But at least start with yourself here. While you're thinking about this, I'll add a little aside that sometimes one of the reasons why political discussions can get so heated is because we think that, that we are fundamentally disagreeing on where we're trying to go, right? That we have different Edens. And sometimes that's true. It really can happen. And, and those are sometimes the hardest things to bridge because if you really just want to go different directions and you're seeking two very different outcomes, it's very hard to reconcile that. But oftentimes, our most contentious debates are because we think we disagree about Eden and actually we're in alignment. What we disagree about is the next step. So when we talk about those morals and mitigations, what happens is that we actually might really think that we want to get to the same place, but we value what we want to maximize on our way there differently. Or we might have different senses of what we're willing to pay, whether a literal cost or a figurative cost, in order to achieve that. So a great example for this was a debate that I had with a colleague in grad school about sugar taxes. But the idea of should we make sugary things much more expensive to try to curb the rise in obesity. And this was an example where my, my colleague and I both agreed we would like to see a world in which people were healthier and had lower rates of obesity. The question was, did we feel that what we would sacrifice by putting a sugar tax in, did we agree that that was worth what we would get in the outcome? Or were the social costs, right, ones we were willing to pay? And so it had nothing to do with the fact that we differed on our end goal. We both had a similar end goal, but we differed in how we felt it would be appropriate to try to achieve that and whether this particular policy, the cost benefit for our values worked out. And so this is really an important thing to think about because, again, it's easy to quickly jump to, well, look, a sugar tax would reduce um, you know, obesity by this much as a way of trying to convince somebody that that's the right reason to do it. But that's just talking about your destination. 
What about the costs, right? What might be the impact on very vulnerable populations of increasing prices of foods that they might rely on in food deserts? Or, you know, socially, politically, what might be the costs of of basically putting a policy in place that says the government's responsible for keeping you from being obese, that there may be perception issues or, or that it might undermine a sense of self-determination. Those have nothing to do with how effective a sugar tax might be in reducing obesity, right? So you can see that this discussion is differing based on the values or constraints that we think are important or not important. So all that to say, now that you've got your Eden or you've brainstormed some Eden steps, when we get to M for those morals or mitigations, now you have to think about what else matters to you while achieving it. Another way to think about it is what are you willing to sacrifice to get it and what are you not willing to sacrifice? Or how much of something would you be willing to sacrifice um, to achieve it, right? You might be willing to give up a little bit of freedom, but maybe not, you know, more than X amount. Or you might be able to pay a certain amount of money or a certain type of number of man hours, but not above a certain level. So these are the things where you need to start thinking about that um, in, a, in achieving your Eden, what else might be guiding those decisions. So feel free to hit pause if you need more time to think about that, you want to jot some ideas down or just mull it over in your head as you're driving or walking. Then we'll get on to O, step three, right? Your options that you have. You only want to get here once you've thought about the first two steps because it's very easy, especially if you have sort of a favorite option or an option that has a lot of power behind it, that if you jump to options, you may consciously or unconsciously define your morals and mitigation steps in order to make one of your options look the best. And again, if there's power differential in the decisions being made, this is very important that you're doing those first two steps before you get to options. But also if if you find yourself very influenced by, you know, by a strong sense of should or by, you know, wanting a certain kind of option or decision because it, it you know, fits with the group that you're used to talking with or whatever it might be, by, by doing those first two steps, you're going to bring to the surface and make explicit what it is that's driving your decisions. And so when you get to the options, it becomes much more easy by having done that to evaluate those options fairly against the things you've said that's mat that matters. And if you find yourself revising the things that you've said mattered because it makes one of the options you think should be the best look bad, hesitate there. Take some time to really think about, did you do the first two steps incorrectly or incompletely? Or are you unconsciously trying to basically make an option win? So, by the time you get to the options, it should be really clear to everybody. Everyone should be on the same page of how you're going to evaluate those options. And it should be less of, you know, a mudslinging fight over whoever's favorite option wins. And more that you all agree, you say, okay, well, option one does this best or option two does this best for this cost. So we all can generally see on the criteria we've already established in the first two steps, you know, that this option is going to be better than, than the other one. The caveat, of course, to that is you may not have enough information for that to be clear. And so this can be where you can get hung up as well, that it's just difficult to have enough information sometimes, um, or it may be, there may be a lot of uncertainty 
right? You may be taking your best guess, but you may have to be projecting forward or making a prediction about an outcome. And, and I understand that complexity, and that's definitely something that has to be respected here. But you can also set those boundaries and rules before you get to the options point of what quality of information do we need to feel like we're satisfied with this evaluation. And again, having those discussions before you see the information will make it easier when you get to this options step. And so again, here with the options, you're really brainstorming the options. You don't want to, I've been talking a lot about evaluations, but at options, really you're brainstorming lots of different options that will get you to your Eden without obviously violating any of your, your methodologies. And it's not until we get to the next step with triangulation that you're really going to then put the numbers down uh, to see which one of these works. So go ahead and brainstorm some options here and think about how close each of those options are getting you to your final goal. Then you can triangulate it, right? So then we'll move on to step four, where you're gonna triangulate using whatever information you have at hand, right? Again, you may be guessing when you're looking at those general options about really how well they're gonna get you to your goal, but um, you, know, you take your best guess because that's why we have step five. So here in step four, triangulate, you're going to bring all the numbers to bear about your values and, and what constraints you have against how much you're going to be achieving in each of those options to get you towards your Eden. My guess is that you're not going to be able to do this step right now because you won't have those numbers here. But you could think through, having done the first three steps, what numbers you do need or what information you would need. And maybe you could jot down some of that information you realize you would need in order to be able to evaluate and triangulate those decisions against the Eden and your constraints. Now, finally, right, we're going to get to that evaluation. So that evaluation is where you're going to loop back around and you're really going to get a sense of which options are best after triangulating and picking that option, but also you're going to put in place the steps that allow you to come back and say, okay, of the guesses we had to make, how good were our guesses? Were there spaces where we, we just completely missed pieces of information we should have used? Or you know, did we have to take our best guess? We made a prediction and, and it just turned out we thought this was 70% likely and the 30% happened. You want to always make sure you build in from the point of decision that evaluation and re-evaluation. It is the only way really to improve your decision-making in a really messy, really complex world. All right, so there you go. We have all of the steps. We've had a chance to kind of brainstorm ideas maybe for a particular decision. If you go to the show notes, uh, you will find that there is a triangulation grid that we have in the show notes. And I'm not gonna try to explain it here because you get the essence, even just doing these steps, of the pieces of information and the points that you'll need to really think about and bring to light in order to make these value-based decisions. But this triangulation grid can help you when you're finally putting pen to paper or having a guided discussion with a broader group of stakeholders to lay out exactly the things that you need to be able to make these decisions um, in a, a way that is respectful and cognizant explicitly of both the data and the values involved. So you'll, you can go to the show notes and, and take a look at that triangulation grid when you're ready for it. But if not, you really do have all of the general um, pieces of information from that framework here that we've discussed.
I will end by saying I understand the difficulty in getting clear about values, whether you're talking about it for yourself or for your organization. It, it's difficult to have these discussions about, well, you know, what does matter more? Are we more committed to being sustainable or more committed to you know, advancing the cause of a particular group? Whatever it might be, there's going to be trade-offs because you can't prioritize everything. And those are not easy discussions to have. Additionally, there may be some really hard things to measure. You know, how do you measure sustainability or how do you measure, measure environmental consciousness, whatever it might be. And some things even just feel downright wrong to consider, you know, as a cost or that, that you would even be willing to sacrifice something in that space. As an example, when we talk about global public health, spending money in one area of global public health means that you're not spending it somewhere else. And it is the most painful, uncomfortable conversation to say, well, would we rather put some money you know, several billion dollars towards rotavirus vaccinations for young children? Or do we want to put money towards, you know, maybe geriatric care or Alzheimer's care? And you're trying to say, okay, well, do we want to protect one population or support another population? But by not making those conversations explicit, as uncomfortable as they might be, you're still making the decision. You're just doing it unconsciously. And in a very butchered adaptation of, of Yoda, I like to say that when we avoid having conversations that are hard about these values because they feel wrong to have or they feel uncomfortable to say that we might prioritize one group over another or we might make a decision that's going to negatively impact um, you know, certain people, well, avoiding that leads to opacity, right? It leads to these decisions being hidden or done in the dark or not being transparent about what it is that you're trying to maximize. And when those things happen in the dark, then you're making those decisions implicitly, right? You're leaning into whatever your implicit setup is in your own mind or in your own organization. And implicitness is where we end up with bias, right? Where it's biased towards the things that are loudest or it's biased towards the things with the most power or it's biased with the ones that have the most resources. And that is not how we want to make decisions. So as uncomfortable as some of these discussions may be, to become explicit about the things that we are prioritizing or valuing, it's the only way to make sure that we are being transparent by meeting them head on. And by being transparent, we can be explicit rather than implicit, which means that we have a chance rather than leaning into our unconscious biases or our structural biases of actually producing an intentional world that is the one that we want, whether that's our global world, the world within your organization, or, or your own personal world. So thank you so much for joining me for this discussion of how we can more intentionally think about bringing our values in with data and information to make decisions. Again, uh, you can get all of the information we've talked about in a much more detailed slide presentation uh, on the show notes. This is episode 48 so the show notes are available at heartsouldata.com slash EP hyphen 48, just the numbers slash. So you can find them there. Or of course, you can just go to heartsouldata.com, go to the episodes, and you'll see this one listed there. We talk about a framework for values with data. 
I would love to hear your thoughts about this framework, whether you've tried it, what challenges you ran into when you did try it, uh, or you know, concerns that you have about trying it. I constantly reevaluate the ways that I do things, and this one was born out of um, a lot of trial and error, and I know that it's probably not perfect yet. I know definitely it's not perfect yet. So please feel free to share your feedback here, whether you leave a comment on this podcast um, or on Heart Soul Data, you can go to contact us and send me a message. I definitely read all of those, and I would love to hear what you thought about this, what worked, and what didn't. So thank you again so much for your time. Uh, if you enjoy my podcast, I ask that you subscribe, uh, drop a rating if you want, um, and feel free to share it with somebody else if you think that what we talk about here might be helpful to them. Best wishes, take care, and I will see you in episode 49, where we talk about small data and big plans. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.